Romans 8.31 says, since God is for us, who can ever be against us? The problem is many people today don't feel like God is for them. They feel like if God exists, he is probably against them or mad at them in some way. But that couldn't be farther from the truth. God is for us and he wants us to know that. So since the beginning of Epic, we have set out to prove to our community that God is for them. We've done that through our serving projects where we send hundreds of our people into our community to serve. We've done that through working with local partners like Habitat for Humanity, Grace Community Food Pantry, Alpha Women's Center, and our Domestic Violence Shelter. And after 10 years of being for Flagler County, more and more people are beginning to understand that God is for them. And now we have a new opportunity. We're at a point where the needs of our community outweigh the capacity of our current resources, staff, and rented facilities. So we believe God is leading us to launch into the next chapter of us being for Flagler. And we plan to do that in three key ways. Number one, since we are for our community, we plan to create a care network and counseling center to help meet some of the needs of our community. The sad reality is Flagler County has had one of the highest suicide rates in Florida over the past few years, and our community lacks the resources we need to address those things. So we want our care network and counseling center to be a part of the solution. Our counseling center will provide spiritual direction and biblical solutions for many of the struggles that people face today. And our care network will be a place where anyone looking for spiritual, emotional, or physical help can find it. To do this, we need easily accessible rented office facilities with counseling rooms. We need trained volunteers who can provide care, compassion, and guidance. And we need staff and counselors who can provide high quality biblical and psychological help. The second way for us to be for Flagler involves us being for families. As a growing church of 700 people, more and more families are coming. And often they are coming because their children are excited about what they are experiencing here at Epic and want to keep coming back. In addition to that, there are thousands of children and students in our community who need to be connected with so they can be connected with God. Our children and students are the future of our community and we want to invest more of our resources in them. To help us do these things, we are planning to hire a full-time student director and hire additional part-time staff members for our children's ministry. The third way for us to be more for Flagler involves us being for the future. So we feel like it's time to further establish ourselves in our community by purchasing and building a new church facility. The land that we're in contract to purchase is a 16 acre parcel close to I-95 around the corner from our local hospital and next to our airport. And this land is easily accessible from all parts of our community. And on this land, we plan to build an engaging facility where thousands of children, students, and adults can continue to come and be transformed by the truth that God is for them. So this is the opportunity before us. And over the next 24 months, we need to raise $2.5 million to reach these goals. 1.5 of that will increase our operational budget, which will enable us to start our counseling center and care network and hire more staff. And then we hope to raise an additional $1 million to purchase our land and finish phase one of developing that land. So we're asking everyone who calls Epic their home 
to join us in this great adventure. I ask you to pray, engage, and give to help us in this next chapter of reaching our community for Christ. So let's join together in being for our community, for our families, and for the future because God is for Flagler, we are for Flagler, and I am for Flagler. I hope you'll be for Flagler as well. Well, good morning, everybody. If you are new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And that video summarizes the big vision that we feel like God has for us as a church over the next 10 years and beyond. And so in this series, we're unpacking what it means for us to be for our community, to be for our families, and for us to be for the future. And today we're going to zero in a little bit closer on what it means for us to be for our community. And before we dive into this, let me give you a disclaimer today. And the disclaimer is this. If you are a Christ follower and you call Epic home, then today's message is for you. If you are not a Christ follower, or let's say that you're just kind of checking us out, maybe you are a Christ follower, but you haven't decided that this is going to be your church home yet, today's message is not specifically designed for you. Uh, Now, if you are not a Christ follower, you have no obligation to do what we're talking about today. You can benefit greatly from it, but you don't have an obligation for that. And if you are a Christ follower and haven't found a church home yet, at some point, God wants you to engage what we're talking about today. But at this point, again, let me just make it clear. I'm talking specifically to those today who say, I'm a Christ follower and Epic is my church home. And what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at one of the most powerful things that Jesus said that we could be involved in with our lives as Christ followers and what we can do as a church family. And it's actually found in Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, we're going to watch Jesus masterfully handle himself with somebody who wants to kind of interrogate him a little bit. It was a religious leader who was trying to find him Uh, saying something that he could use against him. And so it's a real interesting dynamic that we're going to watch here. But Jesus is going to handle this beautifully. And he's going to set up for us some of the greatest stuff that we can be involved in as Christ followers and as a church. So listen to what Luke chapter 10, verse 25 says. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. So he said, Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded by saying, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. Now, I want you to watch how Jesus handles this guy in this moment. So again, we have a religious leader who's an expert in the law trying to catch Jesus and saying something he can use against him. And Jesus leverages the power of a story to show us this life-changing truth that we should be applying to our lives. And so Jesus said this. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. 
They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and then left him half dead beside the road. Now, when Jesus started that story, he caught the attention of everybody listening to the story because they knew this road. And uh, let me show you some pictures of this road. So this road still actually exists today. Uh, This is what it looks like in the the Judean wilderness. It's a road that goes from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It's about an 18-mile journey. And uh, there's another picture going to come up here. And you see on this path, like this is not really a road. It's kind of a narrow path and it would be very difficult to walk this road. And you could see that it provided many opportunities for bad guys to do bad things to people who are walking it by themselves. And as Jesus is telling this story, everybody's going, well, nobody's going to walk that road alone. I mean, bad things happen when you do that. But Jesus got their attention. And then he gets personal with this religious leader. In verse 31, he said, by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, and you saw there, there wasn't a whole lot of other side to get to, which meant he probably had to step over this guy a little bit, and he passed him by. And then in verse 32, Jesus said, and a temple assistant walked over, looked at this guy lying there, but he also passed by on the other side of the road. So Jesus basically says to this religious leader, yeah, religious guy, you probably wouldn't have helped the guy in need, and neither would your assistant. And just imagine like the tension that there would have been in the air as Jesus would have said that. I'm sure the religious leader was a little upset, and the other religious leaders in that crowd would have been upset at Jesus kind of putting them in that light in front of everybody else. And then in verse 33, Jesus said, then a despised Samaritan came along. Now, let me tell you who a Samaritan was and why they were despised. A Samaritan was the offspring of one Jewish parent who had a child with a non-Jewish parent. And when those two got together, their child was known as a Samaritan. And actually, there was a community of Samaritans. There was a region in Israel known as Samaria. And those that were pure Jews by bloodline didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans because they considered them half-breeds. So they would actually travel around that region to get to Galilee, north of that area, and they didn't want to pass through that area and interact with any of these Samaritans because they felt like they were traitors. It felt like they had abandoned their God, abandoned their faith, abandoned their culture, and so most Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritan, and yet Jesus is about to make a Samaritan the hero of this story. So Jesus says, then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, which would have been about two days worth of wage. And he told him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So then Jesus asked this question. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Notice he couldn't say the Samaritan. 
He couldn't bring himself to say that. He just said, the one who showed him mercy. And so Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So let's go back to the question that this religious leader asked when he was trying to justify himself. He said, so Jesus, who's my neighbor? Kind of like, there are so many people out there. How do you even define neighbor? How am I really going to do this? And the way that Jesus answered that question, instead of answering it the way that this man was hoping, Jesus described what a neighbor does, what a neighbor should do. He described for us what we should do when we see someone in need. So Jesus basically says, you're a neighbor when you see somebody around you in need and you do something to help them in their time of need. And I would like to personalize this for us and actually bring this story, this 2,000-year-old story, and bring it to today for us. And I would love for us for just a moment to think about the needs of people that we pass on a regular basis in our community. You know, maybe somebody that you live next to in your neighborhood, maybe somebody that you work with, maybe somebody you pass as you're shopping in our community. And I would love to hear from you out loud. So what are some of the needs of people in our community? What was that? Food. Got some food issues, yeah. Some child care. Was in the back? Love. So a lot of people that need love. Housing, there's some real housing issues in our community, for sure. What else? Loneliness. Loneliness, yeah. Medical care. Medical care? Jobs. Jobs. Counseling. Counseling. You guys are doing a great job. You're hitting a lot of the things that, that we have. Jesus, that's the answer. That's the answer for everything, isn't it? Everybody needs Jesus. And there's a lot of people in our community that need Jesus. So when you think about the needs of people in our community, our community has physical needs, vocational needs, educational needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, mental health needs. There's a lot of needs in our community. And you heard in our intro video that we believe God is leading us to start a counseling center and a care network to help address some of those needs. And we've already taken some big steps in that direction. And Brian Baker, our care pastor, is helping us build the right foundation for some of those things. And if you're interested in care network kind of stuff and learning how to do that more, talk to Brian because he's building kind of a database of people for, of different ages and different skill sets for us to be involved in how we can serve people in their time of need. But I was reminded of the need and the power of a ministry like this, of care network and counseling kind of stuff, recently um, when I was coming out of a store in our community. So a couple of weeks ago, I was walking out of a store. It was a small store, and I opened the, the door to the store, stepped out onto the sidewalk, and a woman from our church was walking down the sidewalk, and we just kind of met perfectly at the right time looked up at each other and like, hey, how are you? Caught up with each other, spent a few minutes talking. And then the lady I was talking to looked across the parking lot, not that far from us, and saw a woman fall down. She fell down and it looked like she was hurting. A few other people rushed over to her. We joined the crowd, went over to, to check on her, and here's what we found. We found an 86-year-old woman laying down. She tripped over the curb. She fell down, hit her face, split her lip open. She was holding her front tooth in her hand, blood all down the front of her. She was dazed, about to pass out, didn't know what happened to her. And she's laying there telling us, I think I'm going to pass out. I think I'm going to pass out. And so we're all together trying to care for her. And, and somebody called 911, so the ambulance was on the way. And so I asked this lady, I said, listen, who can we call for you? who can go to the hospital with you. 
And she said, no one. I have no one that you can call. 86-year-old widow who said, I have no one who can go with me to the hospital in my time of need. So this amazing woman that I had met from our church said, I'll go. I'll go to the hospital with her. And so she went to the hospital with her, spent six plus hours as this woman had more tests and then drove her home after that and then has checked up on her multiple times, has taken her to lunch. They've started a friendship. And out of this friendship, they found that they were basically neighbors. And so our church member became a neighbor in the context of what Jesus was talking about and found out she was being a neighbor to like a literal neighbor that she has. And I was so incredibly proud of this woman in our church who said, I'll go. I'll be the good Samaritan. I'll help her in her time of need. And the reality is we have hundreds, if not thousands of people in our community that have no one. When they hit a wall, when they hit a physical wall, they hit an emotional wall, they hit a mental wall, they have no one to turn to for help. And that's why we feel God is leading us to start a care network and a counseling center to help address some of those needs. Now, here's some big questions related to those ministries. Uh, Questions are are, are these. Where do we begin and how do we pay for this stuff? So we're going to start with where we begin because I think Jesus gives us answers to both of those two questions in this story that he tells. So where do we begin I think the answer to that is we begin by being people who learn to see needs and meet needs. Instead of overlooking people in their needs as we pass them by, we look for needs. And when we see a need, what appears to be a legitimate need, instead of thinking somebody else will take care of it, somebody else will do something there, we should step in and do what God is leading us to do. We should help them in whatever way that we can. Now, we can't do everything for everyone, but we sure can do something for someone in need when they're the person in front of us and they have a legitimate need. Now, next question. How do we pay for stuff like this? I want you to notice how the Good Samaritan paid for this wounded man's care. He did that out of his own pocket. So he reached into his own pocket. He sacrificed his own time, his own resources, his own money to help this guy in need. And then he followed up with the innkeeper saying, if his bill is more than this, when I come back, I will pay you. So he paid for it out of his own pocket. And I believe that God wants us as Christ followers to follow that example. I believe God wants us to sacrifice some of our time, some of our resources, some of our money that he's entrusted to us to help people in their time of need. And get this, I believe the primary place that God wants us to give our first and best resources to help people in need is through local churches. See, I believe that that God designed the local church to be the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world, and local churches carry that message to a hurting world. And I believe God designed local churches to be places that should be like hospitals for wounded people, not social clubs for saints, not social clubs for people who think they don't need any help. And we actually see that in Acts chapter 6 with the first New Testament church. 
And there were some real needs in their community, some needs for some widows. And so what they did for those widows is they met their needs through a food ministry, kind of like Grace Community Food Pantry that we partner with in town. And they didn't shy away from the needs that their community had. They stepped in to meet those needs. They saw the needs, and they did what they could to meet those needs. And I want you to think about how some of the the big things that we have in our world today that we rely on, educational systems and uh, healthcare systems, think about how many of those things started. Many hospitals were started because there were a group of Christians that saw a need for people that needed to to be brought back to health. And so they started a hospital. Many of the educational systems that we're aware of, many of the colleges and universities that are out there were started because Christians saw there was a need for real education to help people step up in their lives. And so a lot of the big things that we know in our world that we kind of take for granted come from Christ followers who saw a need and decided to meet that need. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. I believe the church is God's number one plan. I believe the church is God's number one plan to reach the world with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. So look around, folks. Like, if you're a Christ follower, we're God's one and only plan. Does does that intimidate any of you? Like every once in a while, I'm like, really, God? Like me? Like I'm part of your plan? That's craziness. I wouldn't pick me. And yet, that's God's plan. The church, little C church, like us, big C church globally is God's plan to reach the world with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ and his strategy to resource local churches so that they can carry out their mission of serving their communities is for everyone connected with that church to give tithes and offerings to that church. So listen to what God said about that in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. He said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Now that is one powerful verse, one powerful promise that many people are afraid to put God to the test on. And I'll admit from my life, I have tested God in every other place in scripture where he says, don't test me. And when it has come to this spot where God says, go ahead and test me, for many years of my life, I was not willing to test God. Now, when a pastor gets to a spot like this in a message, when people start going like, oh, this is a money message. Uh, Many people are tempted to check out and say, oh, you know, he's just trying to get into my pocket. You know, I feel a little bit manipulated here. Um, So here's what I encourage you to do. If you're a Christ follower, and if this is your church home, please pay attention. Don't check out. God wants something more from us than just money. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Again, if you aren't a Christ follower and you're you're here, again, uh, what we're talking about doesn't apply to you. 
You have no obligation to apply it to your life. You can benefit greatly if you do, but you're under no obligation. So now would be a perfect time to get some popcorn out or some snacks and sit back, relax, and kind of watch the rest of us kind of wrestle our way through this. And if, as I'm talking about this today, you feel guilty, you feel manipulated by me, let me free you from that feeling. Let me free you from that thought. And let me encourage you to give somewhere else. Don't give here. If you feel like I'm trying to manipulate you, I'm not after your money. And neither is God. God's after something way more important than that for all of us. I want you to listen to what King David said in Psalms 24, verse 1. He said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. So that means everything that we have, everything that has been entrusted to us has been given to us by God himself. And some of you might push back and say, well, what about all the hard work that I've put in to to get it? Like, I've worked really hard. I'm the one that got the education. I'm the one that that put that money in my bank account and my retirement account. I'm the one that, that has achieved what I've achieved. Maybe so. But who gave you the ability to do that? Who gave you the smarts to do that? Who gave you the endurance to do that? Who gave you the opportunity to do that? I would suggest that God did. God gave you that. And so ultimately, everything we have belongs to God. Now, that is a truth that I understand today, but I didn't understand for many years of my life. For many years of my life, when it came to my stuff, I said, God, hands off, it's mine. It belongs to me. And I will do what I want to do with my stuff when I want to do whatever I want to do with it. And when it came to tithing, I wasn't a tither. I was a tipper, and I grew up in a church context, and so I I grew up sitting where you're sitting, and in in the context that I grew up in, uh, they would pass a plate. They would talk about uh, giving, and then they would pass a plate in in front of us, and I always felt guilty around that, and and I'd sit in my pew, and I'd look behind me. Who's sitting back there? Who's sitting over there? Who's watching? If I felt guilty, if I felt like somebody was watching, like, oh, they're going to see I don't put anything in the plate today. I better put something in. I'd reach into my pocket, and I would look and see, what do I have? Oh, a $10 bill. Oh, okay, I could give that. If I had a 20, ooh, I might need that later for lunch. Let me just keep that. Do I have a wad of ones? Because that kind of looks better. You know, if I crumple them all up, it would look better when I put that in. Look like I put a bunch of cash in. So that's kind of how I operated when it came to giving at church. You want to know why we don't pass a plate here? I don't want you to feel guilty about it. You can give online. You can give through our giving boxes. This isn't about you and me. This is about you and God. What God wants you to do and you feeling the freedom to give out of the generosity that God has placed inside of you. But when Tammy and I got to our lowest point financially, we got serious about trusting God with our finances. And this happened over 20 years ago. So 22 years ago, my wife and I moved to Virginia. We had two young kids at the time. Our daughter, Sydney, was three at the time, and Maddie was uh, like eight months. And we moved to Virginia for me to finish my graduate degree in counseling. And while we were there, uh, we were struggling. It was two of the hardest years of our life. And uh, one of the reasons it was so hard is because we were living off of under $10,000 a year with a young family. And I was bringing home about $8,000 a year. And while we were struggling with that, we felt like God was asking us to trust him with our tithes. 
and a tithe is 10% of our income. And I was struggling. I was like, I don't know how we could do this. I mean, we are hurting financially, and yet we both felt like God was asking us to trust him by tithing, giving 10% of our income back to him through a church. And so we decided one day to take a leap of faith and put God to the test based upon what he said in Malachi chapter 3. So we started writing tithe checks twice a month based upon when we got paid. And I was making $700 a month. And so my wife would write a check for $35 twice a month. And we would give that to our church. And as we would do that, we thought, how is our church going to use this? It's $35. It's not a whole lot. We need it more than they do. Like This is a major stretch for us. And they probably have no concept, no idea of how hard this is for us. And yet, month after month, We did that month after month, year after year, and we watched God open the windows of heaven and bless our lives in abundance. And here's just some of the ways that he did that in that that two-year time frame. So again, at the time that we had moved there, our daughter Sydney was three and our daughter Maddie was about eight months and she was still on formula. And uh, anybody bought formula for a baby here recently? You know how much it costs? It's like taking out a small mortgage uh, to get that. And it was still expensive back then. And my boss's wife was a nurse at a pediatrician's office. And she just decided that she would help us out. She thought, well, maybe they need some of this. I'm not sure. And she brought us the perfect formula that our daughter needed. She was on some special formula, and it was a little bit more costly than the regular formula. And she just would bring it on a regular basis and took care of all those needs in that time that my daughter was needing that. And then in addition to that, God provided some ways for my wife to buy some amazing deals for us. So we were from Florida at the time. We were moving to Virginia. We didn't have all the stuff that we needed for winter. And we needed to buy some jackets, some clothes for our kids. And so my wife would go bargain shopping. And she would come home. We would play this game called Guess How Much I Paid for This. She would come home and say, guess how much I paid for these jackets, these winter jackets for our girls. And I'm like, I don't know, 20 bucks. Nope, lower. I don't know, 10 bucks. Nope, lower. We'd get down to a dollar or under. And I'm like, a dollar. Yep, a dollar. Paid a dollar for it. Like, you're kidding. You paid a dollar for those jackets? Yeah. God showed me where these deals are, and I'm finding them. And so we've seen that happen um, for a number of times in our lives while we were experiencing that there. Another thing that God did for us, he provided us the perfect job, a part-time job in addition to my full-time job. So I was going to school full-time, working full-time, and God provided a part-time job that I could do in the week. Uh, Each week I would have to go and do a couple of things, but I could do it when I could fit it into my schedule. And it gave us just a little bit of breathing room, and it was phenomenal. Then one of the biggest things that stood out to us is we came to that experience with $5,000 credit card debt. And while we were there, we had some medical bills. We had to go to the hospital a few times. And so we had some rising debt with us there. And we left that experience, get this, we left that experience making about $8,000 a year debt-free. Now, let me take you back before that. When both my wife and I were working, we were making about $60,000. Together, we were not paying that off. We take this adventure, trusting God. We end up in Virginia making about $8,000 a year, and we paid off $5,000 plus on a credit card bill and medical bills. How does that happen? I have no idea. 
other than to tell you God kept his promise of opening the windows of heaven and blessing our lives in abundance because we put him to the test and he came through on his end of the bargain. Like I could sit down and show you the math. The math doesn't work, but God's math does work when we learn how to trust him. So here's some of the things that we learned from God that God taught us on this journey. Tithing isn't about money. It's not about money. It's about trust. Here's another thing. God doesn't need your money. God is not up in heaven bumming lunch money off of angels. God does not need your money. He wants something bigger. He wants our hearts. And God can do more with 90% of our income than we can do with 100% of our income. I have found that to be true, and I know it's true. I have personal experience of over 20 years of watching God do more in my life than I could do with all of it. Now, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six. And this was a passage that we lived in for those two years, those two difficult years. Uh, We came across this passage and I read this over and over and over and over and studied it and applied it and clung to it and held on to it and said, God, like this has gotta be true because this is all we have. And Jesus said this in verse 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Here's what God knows about us. Our hearts are tied to our treasures. And God wants our hearts tied to things that last forever. He doesn't want our hearts tied to things that are gonna be thrown in the trash. And God knows that as we trust him with our finances, that will not only help to resource local churches to carry out the mission that God has for those churches, but it will help God accomplish the mission he has for us. And that is where we open up our heart and we trust him with everything. We give God everything we have. God will take care of everything we need. So if you're a Christ follower, do you trust God? Do you really trust God? Let me suggest you'll know that by how you handle your finances and by how you help to resource local churches to carry out the mission God has for those churches. Now, I want us to pause for just a minute and and take a look at a story of one of our church members and how God used this whole conversation of learning to trust him with our finances and see how God worked in their lives. So take a look at this video with me. My name is Will Furry, and this is my story. I accepted Jesus early on in life, but didn't attend church regularly or grow up around a church family. I believed in Jesus, but I didn't know what it looked like to follow him. So I started to chart my own path in life. At a young age, I learned that I had certain talents and abilities that could make me a lot of money. And I liked that. Money became an idol in my life, and many of my life decisions were based on getting more of it. But as I became more successful, I started to wall people out. I wouldn't allow anyone in my personal kingdom unless I had something to gain or they could serve me in some way. And those that were in need, that was somebody else's problem. 
Then one day, God hit the reset button on me. Everything I had worked for financially started to slip through my fingers like sand. I had placed my identity in money, success, status, and possessions. But now, it was all slowly slipping away. I didn't know who I was anymore. So I wrestled with God as I struggled with my own identity. Yes, God continued to bless me even though I was on my way down, but still, it was never enough. I fought, fought, fought to return to the man who had everything until the day I finally surrendered. This didn't mean that I quit, but instead I made a decision to start following Jesus and start learning how to live my life for Him. The transformation didn't happen overnight. It took me a while to learn to give God control. I started off by attending church regularly. Then my family and I moved from Miami to Palm Coast, where we found Epic Church. My wife showed me the importance of serving, and at that point, time is all I thought we could afford. I started to include God in my work life, and then painfully started to tithe with the little we had coming in. Back then, the hardest thing for me to do was trust God with my money. But I eventually stopped worrying and instead put my focus on pleasing God and seeking an everlasting identity in Jesus Christ. As I made these changes in my life, I started to see things differently. I realized the talents I identified early on in my life were not my own. Instead, they were gifts given to me by God to use for His will to be done. Once I started to put God first and the needs of others before my own, everything started to change and God's blessings were abundant in my life. Doors started to open, great relationships were formed, my finances were no longer a concern, and I had a joy and peace that could only come from the Holy Spirit. Jesus changed me from a stubborn, selfish, self-serving person to someone who wants to please Him by loving and serving others. I'm so thankful for Jesus for leading me and my family to Epic Church, which has been a big part of my transformation. I decided to be baptized because I had already committed my heart to following Jesus, and I knew that it was time to make a public declaration of this. I remember as I was lifted up from the water, I felt the old me washed away forever and a new life emerging as a faithful servant who is now living in Christ. Although baptism was not my salvation moment, it reminded me of a conversation I had with myself asking, if Jesus gave me the opportunity to go back to my old life without losing everything, I had worked for so hard. Would I take it? I can wholeheartedly say I would answer him, no, I want to stay here with you, Jesus. And the journey was worth it. And that is how I know I'm saved. Isn't that a, a powerful example of somebody learning to trust God with everything, trust God with our hearts, trust God with our resources? And Will is a living example of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, when he said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. God promises to do that in our life. So will we trust him for that? Do you know how we're going to be for Flagler and reach the, the $2.5 million goal that we have out there that's a, a big number? The way we're going to do that is people who call Epic their home of giving of their tithes and their offerings above that as God leads them. That, that's how that's going to happen. And so if you have not done that yet, I invite you. I invite you to join us in doing that. 
Now, anytime I have a conversation with somebody related to finances, several things often come up. One is this. People often say to me, I hear you, I read it in scripture, but I am scared to death. What do I do? And I get that. I fully understand that. I look back at 22 years ago when my wife and I began this journey, we were scared to death. But as we look back, I wish we would have trusted God sooner. I look at some of the years that we missed out on trusting God in that way. And so I just encourage you to take that leap of faith and trust that God will provide because he will. God promises to meet our needs from his abundant resources, and he's often waiting on us to take a step and trust him for him to release those resources. So will you trust him? Another thing that often comes up is people say, how do I practically get started in that? How do I do that? Like, I hear you, but I don't know how to really get started. So I'm going to walk you through a way that you can get started in learning how to trust God through giving. And there's actually a sheet on your seat that we're going to see come up on the screen as well. It might be hard to read on the screen. It might be actually hard to read in the audience as well uh, with the lighting issues. But if you would grab this one, it says Pathway to Generosity on it. And I'm just going to walk us through this and show us what it could look like for us to learn to trust God with our finances. And I'm going to start in the bottom right-hand corner there. Bottom right-hand corner says this. God's plan for generosity is a journey of trusting him with all that we are and all that we have. The Apostle Paul encourages us to grow in every aspect of our walk with Jesus, including the gracious act of giving. And so we are asking everyone who calls Epic their home to pray, engage, and give in new ways during this season. And the pathway to generosity is a tool designed to help each of us focus on the attitudes of our hearts. And each stage represents growth in a lifestyle of generosity. And this next sentence is really important. These are not steps you ascend to get closer to God, but they're a simple way for us to evaluate our personal growth in generosity. So if you look at the the first step above that, it says first-time giver. So if you've never given before, the way that you can do that is just take a step and learn to give. And you know, I talk to folks on a regular basis who, when they come into our church family, maybe don't come from a church background, they're like, this whole idea of trusting God with my finances is crazy. Like, what do I do first? Just learn to give. Like, take a step. And you can give through our giving boxes. You can give online. There's several ways that you can take that first step and learn to trust God with your resources. Now you look at the next step up from that. It's called percentage giving. So maybe you're someone who says, listen, I've given before. I've given maybe to a mission trip or to one of our 3G projects or epic giving tree or something like that. But what do I do beyond that? And maybe for you, it's where you decide, you know, I want to give a percentage of my income on a regular basis. Maybe you commit to, I'm going to give 5% of my income or 8% of my income on a regular basis and learn how to trust God on a weekly or monthly time period. And that's what the percentage giving could look like. And you look at the the step above that, and that is tithing. That's, again, where Jesus said in Malachi chapter 3, test me by giving 10% of your income back to me through a local church and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and bless your life in abundance. So maybe for some of you, that's the level that you need to step into is that tithing level. And then above that, we've got the intentional level. 
So maybe you're tithing and you say, you know what, there's some specific things that I'm passionate about. I'm very interested in, in giving towards. So maybe that's what the intentional level looks like for you, stepping beyond the tithe to support some specific things that you're passionate about. And then there's the legacy level above that. And the legacy level, I think, can be attained regardless of, of whatever financial level that we're in. Now, I know some people that don't have a lot of resources that I would put at that legacy level because they understand everything they have comes from God and they hold their hands open widely and say, God, you can put in my hands whatever you want. You can take out of my hands whatever you want. I want my giving, my generosity to way outlive me because I trust you with everything. And I know some people like that. And I do think that's, that's where God wants all of us to, to get to. So as you consider your next step, look down that left-hand side there. Number one, it says, listen to God. So prayerfully, just start a conversation with God about how to trust him with your resources. And then evaluate your resource and understand that everything that we have comes from God. And he wants us to trust him with those things and use those things to advance his purposes in the world. And then get specific and determine how your specific resources can be used to advance God's kingdom. And then the last one is the big scariest one of all, and that is the step of faith. Take a step of faith and start somewhere. Start somewhere with your finances, trusting God, and watch and see what God will do in your life. Now, another thing that can help us on this journey of being for our community and trusting God is on your seat is a little intention card that we're using in this series. And we're going to be inviting everybody connected with our church family to fill one of these out and turn one of these in in three weeks. On March the 1st, we'll have an opportunity for all of us to do this together of what we sense God wants us to give over the next two years to help us be for our community. So I'll explain next week how Tammy and I have used this to get to what we have decided that we are giving. I'll go in detail about all this stuff. But here's what I would love for you to do, especially if you weren't with us last week. Last week, I told you to write the name of a person in our community that you know needs to understand that God is for them that you know could benefit from some of the things like a counseling center, a care network uh, that we're talking about establishing in our community. Write their name down and start praying for them and opportunities for you to be for that person so that they can understand that God is for them as well. So that's something that'll help us as well on this journey. And then if you didn't get our four Flagler folder last week, On your way out, somebody will hand that to you. They'll be at our Connection Center as well. There's some great resources in there. There's a prayer guide that you can use on the journey. We also have our Four Flagler booklet that's been put together, and I highly recommend you spend some time reading through this. It's got the history of our church, what what God has done in us over the past 10 years, what we sense God wanting us to do over the next 10 years, and it's got a big question and answer section for those questions that you might have. There might be an answer in here. If there is not an answer in here, for you. Stop me, stop Tim, stop Brian. We would love to answer these questions for you. So as we wrap up today, I want to take you back to the last thing that Jesus said in his Good Samaritan story. So he said in Luke 10, 37, he said, go and do the same. So Jesus said, now it's, it's time to go and do this. It's time to go and care for people in need. It's time for us to see a need and meet a need. 
It's time for us to step into our community and help them know that God is for them because we are for them as well. And we want them to understand that powerful truth. And I got to tell you how exciting it is to be a part of a church family that's serious about this. I've talked to so many of you who are so excited about us being for Flagler and stepping into that in big ways. And I talked to so many of you who are doing that on a regular basis. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of our church family. Thank you for caring about people in our community who desperately need to be cared for and and need to have their needs met. And when we meet some physical needs, maybe they'll allow us to help meet a spiritual need for them. So thank you for being a part of that. And as we close today, we're going to sing a song called Oceans. And this song is a great song. It came out a few years ago. It's a great song about taking steps of trusting God when we're scared to death. Like we're stepping into the deeper parts of the water where it's, it's the unknown for us, and we're not sure how this is going to play out. So as we sing this song, I encourage you to have conversations with God about what it would look like for you to trust him more with your resources with your treasures, with your heart, with your trust, with the money that you have been entrusted with. And I want you to get this image. Get the image of God being in the deep end of the pool when we have never jumped in to swim. Like we're scared to death. Like maybe we've swam in the shallow end and we enjoy the shallow end, but God is calling us to the deep end. And if you've ever been a parent and done that with a kid, I've done that with my, all four of my kids. And I've been in the deep end and I've called them and they're standing on the edge like, dad, are you sure? There's a lot of deep water around you. This is scary. Just jump. I will catch you. It will be okay. And when they take that leap and land in our arms, it's like when we take the leap and land into our heavenly father's arms and he shows us how to swim in the deep end and how to trust him with all of who we are. So have that conversation with God as we sing together. Let's pray before we do that. So Lord, thanks for the opportunity for us to dig deeper in this subject today. Lord, wow, this is a big subject of us learning to trust you and resource local churches who can transform their communities And Lord, as we see in this amazing story that you shared, this story of the Good Samaritan, we see that this Samaritan saw a need and met that need. He didn't overlook it. He didn't walk past, and he didn't ignore it. He didn't say, you know what, that's a Jewish person who doesn't have anything to do with me. He stopped. He felt compassion on this guy in need. Lord, may we feel the same compassion on the people in our community that are in need. And Lord, as the good Samaritan reached into his own pocket to pay for this guy's care, may we do that. May we give of our time, our resources, our finances. Lord, may we learn to resource your local churches that are your number one plan to reach the world with a life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Lord, it's an incredible opportunity for us to be involved in this and store up treasures in heaven that can never be taken away from us. So Lord, may we be for Flagler because you are for Flagler. So Lord, as we sing this song, some of us are afraid. Some of us are scared to death. And you know that. And you called all of us. Just trust me. 
jump in the deep end. It'll be okay. So Lord, help us to do that as we trust you today. In Jesus' name.